Welcome to another edition of Sean's Sports Show. This is episode number 55, and we're coming at you live from the usual Los Angeles, California. So today we're going to be covering the breaking news in sports, as well as the results and matchups of the Los Angeles sports teams, and finally the results of the NHL playoffs. So the first thing we're going to be talking about today uh, falls under a pretty general, uh, I would say just sports uh, category. A world record was broken. So Brazilian surfer Rodrigo Coxa has been crowned with the honor of riding the biggest wave ever. According to the Associated Press via ESPN, the World Surf League confirmed on Saturday that its judges measured the wave Coxa rode on November 8th in Nazar, Portugal at 80 feet in height. He bettered American uh, Garrett McNamara's 2011 record by two feet. Uh, per the AP's report, the World Surf League made the announcement at the Big Wave Awards in Santa Monica, California, and it said, not only did Coxa win this year's honor for biggest wave, but he now holds the Guinness World Record for the biggest wave surfed. Um, Coxa said the award was, a, was, quote, a dream come true. So that's that's pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, so now switching gears uh, to the World Cup. Uh, President Donald Trump has reiterated his support for the United States joint bid with Mexico and Canada to host the 2026 FIFA World Cup. Per the Huffington Post's um, SV date, Trump commented on the issue at a joint news conference with Nigerian President Muhammadu Buhari, warning the U.S., quote, will be watching very closely who offers their support to the bid. The president already addressed the bid on Twitter last week with a post characterized by a similar sentiment to his latest comments. The key rival to the North American bid to host uh, football's biggest event in 2026 comes from Morocco. Per Mark Ogden of ESPN, Morocco are a, quote, genu- genuine contender to win the race, as they are likely uh, to receive backing from African and Asian nations, as well as potentially Spain, Portugal, France, Belgium, and Russia, in their bid to win 104 votes from FIFA's 207 members. The final decision will be made on June 13th. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, who, who gets the World Cup. I, I hope it's going to be the U.S., and we'll see. So now uh, switching gears to the NFL, the Minnesota Vikings announced on Monday that veteran cornerback Terrence Newman has signed a contract and will return for his 16th NFL season in 2018. Ian Rappaport of NFL Network noted the Vikings made the move despite having drafted cornerback Mike Hughes in the first round of the draft. Newman spent the past three seasons with the Minnesota Vikings following stints with the Dallas Cowboys and Cincinnati Bengals. He he primarily served in a reserve role behind Xavier Rhodes and Trey Waynes in 2017, registering 35 tackles, 5 passes defended, and 1 interception. Newman was originally selected by the Cowboys with the number 5 overall pick in the 2003 NFL Draft out of Kansas State. In 9 seasons with the Cowboys, Newman racked up 32 interceptions and was named to the Pro Bowl on 2 occasions. He signed a free agent deal with the Bengals in 2012 and went on to spend 3 seasons in Cincinnati before joining the Vikings. Newman's signing with Minnesota in 2015 came 1 year after Mike Zimmer vacated his post as Bengals defensive coordinator to become the Vikings head coach. Zimmer and Newman have been linked throughout their careers as Zimmer was Newman's defensive coordinator with the Cowboys from 2003 through 2006 before going on to coaching with the Bengals and Vikings. Newman started all 16 games for the Vikings in 2015, but his role diminished over the next two years due to the continued improvement of Rhodes and Waynes. He started only 10 games in 2016 before making 7 starts in 2017. Uh, Despite the reserve role, he remained a valuable piece for Minnesota as a slot corner and even an occasional safety. Over the course of his 15-year NFL career, the 39-year-old veteran has brought in 42 interceptions, which is 67th on the all-time list. So it's pretty cool that he's coming back for another season. So now switching gears back to uh, soccer. Um, it's a pretty, pretty big story here. Neymar has reportedly had a successful medical examination from Paris Saint-Germain 
and Brazil's team doctors and has also had the medical boot protecting his broken foot removed. According to Mail Online's Jordan Seward, the forward has, was examined by PSG doctor Eric Rowland and Brazil's national team doctor Rodrigo Lasmar, and the pair have reported uh, he is, quote, progressing well as he bids to recover from the foot surgery in time to feature in the World Cup. Uh, Neymar will, ret will return to France to work on his rehabilitation at the Oradou Training Center in Paris in several days, but until then he will continue recovering in his native Brazil. The 26-year-old recently revealed on social media that he was able to walk unsupported. Uh, he's still weeks away from playing again, having recently said he expects to be back in the latter half of May when he has uh, his final medical examination. Neymar broke his um, metatarsal in February, and the injury brought a premature end to his campaign unless he's able to feature for PSG again before their season draws to a close on May 15th against Cannes. Uh, so it will be interesting. Um, and um, the injury kept him out of the second leg of their uh, UEFA Champions League last 16 clash with Real Madrid, though, and without him, the side were unable to turn around a 3-1 deficit. As for Brazil, they have plenty of attacking options, even if Neymar was to miss the World Cup. Uh, thanks to the management of Tite, who has added pragmatism and restored a little flitter since he took charge in 2016, and the emergence of a talented young generation of players, the team are far less reliant on Neymar than they were in 2014, when they collapsed 7-1 to to Germany in the semifinal after losing uh, him to injury in the previous match. Uh, nevertheless, the forward is a uh, tail, you know, he's pretty important for, for uh, Brazil, having scored 53 goals in 83 appearances, and they're at their best with him on the pitch. Months out with injury will hardly be ideal preparation for him ahead of the tournament, but it seems promising we'll see a player of Neymar's talent at the World Cup at an age where he has reached or is close, where he has reached or is close to the peak of his, um, the peak of his powers at his prime. So, should be interesting to see how this plays out. So now, um, switching gears back to uh, football in general, uh, players who began playing tackle football before the age of 12 are more likely to develop signs of chronic uh, traumatic encephalopathy, uh, or CTE, earlier in life, according to a study by the VA Boston Healthcare System and the Boston U University School of Medicine. ESPN obtained a copy of the study, which found players who began playing tackle football before turning 12 developed CTE-related systems at an average of 13 years earlier than players who waited. During an appearance on ESPN's Outside the Lines on Monday, Dr. Ann McKee, the director of Boston University's Chronic Traumatic um, you know, CTE Center, uh, said a person may be more resistant uh, to the long-term effects of tackle football if they wait to begin playing until after the age of 12. Quote, it shows the health of the brain was changed by playing football before the age of 12, McKee said. Some argue that players should play even later than 12, maybe 18, when they are adults and can, and can make fully informed decisions, McKee said. The study adds to the accumulating evidence that if you're go going to play football, you should do so later. Doctors studied the brains of 246 former football players, 211 of which showed signs of CTE, which is a degenerative brain disorder that can cause memory loss and mood swings, among other symptoms. The study found players exhibited cognitive problems 2.4 uh, years earlier, Per year, uh, they have played tackle football before the age of 12. Behavioral and mood issues began 2.5 years earlier. Some Pop Warner football leagues uh, begin at the age of 5. Based on the findings from this study, a player who began organized tackle football at age 5 could begin showing signs of cognitive degeneration uh, 17 to 18 years before a player who began after the age of 12. The study uh, you know, could continue building the groundswell of supporting for, uh, for banning tackle football for children four states. Illinois, California, Maryland, and New York have considered youth tackle football uh, bans this year. None of the states have passed a law yet. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> um, <clears throat> so my my take on this is um, 
My apologies. Um, so my take on this is, I don't think that football should be banned. I think it should be like an option for 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 kids and their parents to make. And um, I mean, I I definitely see that playing at age eighteen, um, you know, reduces the risk of CTE and or if it, you know, if you get CTE at a later, you get it at a later age, but. You know, you're not going to make somebody that's really good at football is not going to make the NFL starting to play football at age 18. You have to start at a young age if you want, you know, if you want football to have any say in your life, whether it's high school and getting a scholarship in college or making some kind of professional league, whether it's the NFL or not. So I just don't agree with this whole banning football scheme. Obviously, it's dangerous, but it's your own choice on whether you play football or not. And I mean, you, it's not like football players get paid pennies. You know, they don't make the same amount of money as someone that works in McDonald's. They get paid, even if they're the worst player on their team, they get paid good money. So, so now another story that has to do with football. Although Dallas Cowboys tight end Jason Witten hasn't officially made his decision to retire, he is reportedly likely to join the join the Monday Night Football booth on a massive deal, according to David Moore of the Dallas Morning News. ESPN offered Witten four to four point five million per year as a broadcaster. Meanwhile, Chris Mortensen of ESPN reported a different network provided another quote interesting offer that could make his decision more difficult. He will reportedly make a final decision between the networks or a return to the Cowboys on by Wednesday. Witten had just signed a new four-year deal worth twenty nine point six million dollars last season, but he recently restructured, restructured his contract to provide three point five million dollars in in more cap space for the Cowboys. Considering he said he said to turn uh, 36 years, years old next Sunday, there was no guarantee he would play out the contract. The veteran finished last season with 63 catches for 560 yards, which were both his lowest marks since his rookie season in 2003. Still, the Cowboys were expecting at least a few more productive years out of Witten. Clarence Hill Jr. of the Star-Telegram reported the player, quote, blindsided them late in the process. However, Jerry Jones made it clear nothing was final. Quote, he has not made any decisions that are definite at this time, Jones said on Friday per Rob Phillips of the team's official site. We have no announcement today as it pertains to Jason's future other than to say that he's a wonderful and valued member of our organization and our family. Dallas did select a tight end, Stanford's Dalton Schultz, in the fourth round of the draft. Meanwhile, Witten could follow in the path of former teammate Tony Romo, who retired before uh, seamlessly joining the top broadcasting team on CBS. So it should be uh, interesting to see how this plays out. So now switching gears to the NBA. LeBron James uh, playing in big games equals even bigger ratings. The Cleveland Cavaliers' Game 7 matchup with the Indiana Pacers delivered the highest-rated first-round playoff game in more than 14 years, per ESPN's Ben Cafardo. ESPN's Darren Rovell noted that uh, noted the last first-round game that drew a higher rating was the 2004 matchup between the Houston Rockets and Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers team featured a peak um, feuding Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal along with Hall of Famers Gary Payton and Carl Malone. It's hard... It's hard um, to see some, it's it's not hard to see some similarities here in my opinion. Both games feature genera- generational talents in the midst of a, a pretty you know turbulent season, uh, all with the potential of a break of a breakup lingering over everyone's heads. The Lakers would advance to the finals before losing to the Detroit Pistons, but most felt um, that they were watching the last game of Shaq and Kobe together during those playoffs. Some went into Sunday thinking they may be seeing LeBron James in a Cavs uniform for the final time. The four-time MVP can become an unrestricted free agent this summer and is, shul- and is shouldering a bigger load than, than he has perhaps at any point in the last decade. He recorded 45 points, 9 rebounds, and 7 assists in the Cavaliers' 105-101 win, moving his record to 13-0 in first-round matchups. Quote, I'm burnt right now. James told reporters, I'm not thinking about Toronto right now until tomorrow. I'm ready to go home. Can we? I'm tired. I want to go home. That's what he said post-game. 
The Cavs and James will have an even more difficult matchup when they play the top-seeded Toronto Raptors in round two. Toronto is also determined to, uh, you know, uh, you know, kind of get rid of their postseason demon, demons, which have included being eliminated by the Cavaliers in the last two seasons. So, um, I would imagine that they're that the Raptors fans and the Raptors players and and the team them, you know, the coaching staff and the front office will be pretty upset if LeBron and company uh, if eliminate them three years in a row in the playoffs, considering the fact that Toronto is favored and Cleveland just played a seven-game series against the Indiana Pacers. So, so now another story that has to do with the NBA. Hassan Whiteside was effectively a no-show for the Miami Heat during the team's first round loss to the Philadelphia 76ers in the 2018 NBA playoffs. Team president Pat Riley expressed his belief Monday that the center wasn't ready for the postseason mentally or physically, per Tim Reynolds of the Associated Press. Whiteside averaged only 5.2 rebounds and six, excuse me, 5.2 points and six rebounds uh, in the first round loss. "Quote: He's not going. Uh, he's going to have to do something to change because he's a hell of a player," Riley said per Reynolds. After signing a four-year, ninety-eight million dollar contract ahead of the 2016-17 season, Whiteside responded with 17 points and a league-leading 14.1 rebounds per game, both of which were career highs. He took a step back this season, although his 14 points and 11.4 rebounds per game were still far better than what he managed in the postseason. Meanwhile, the 28-year-old blamed the coaching staff for not giving him enough playing time. At least give me a chance to fight, he said. Per uh, Ira Winderman of the Sun Sentinel, I can understand if I was playing 30 minutes and I played bad. At least give me a chance. The center only saw 15.4 minutes per game against the 76ers. Whiteside's problems with the coaching staff have been brewing for months. Riley mentioned Bracegate as an issue that contributed to Whiteside's poor postseason per Reynolds. After the big man missed 13 games due to a bone bruise, the Heat forced him to wear a knee brace, although he wasn't a fan of it. He bristled about his playing time and questioned head coach Eric Spolcher's rotations during the season as well. Whiteside has one more season under contract before he can choose whether to decline his 2019-20 player option, so he and the Heat must figure out a way to get on the same page moving forward. Um, so, I mean, it seemed, my take is I, I, I think that the... The Heat need to uh, give him a chance, uh, you know, more playing time. But at the same time, he needs to be cooperative, in my opinion, and he needs to he needs to show him that he's worth the the, the money that they invested in him. Uh, so now switching gears back to the NFL, police are investigating Oakland Raiders offensive lineman Donald Penn for an alleged domestic violence incident in which his wife says he slapped her buttocks and poured a drink over her head. TMZ Sports reported police in the in the Los Angeles area responded to a call Sunday but Penn had already uh, fled the scene when they arrived. The report says Penn was, quote, at the house earlier and got handsy with his wife, at one point slapping her butt. Penn then allegedly grabbed his wife's wrist and poured a drink over her head during a verbal dispute. No charges have been filed at this time. Penn and his wife later issued a statement through their representative, Denise White, denying there was a physical incident via TMZ. Quote, there was a verbal disagreement. There was no physical altercation. The two are in the middle of a divorce, and it is hard, and it is a hard time for both parties. The NFL does not require formal charges or a conviction to make a player subject to its personal conduct policy. Regardless of the outcome of the police investigation, the NFL will likely conduct one of its own to see if Penn violated any league rules. A standard suspension for domestic violence is six games. Penn, who's 35 years old, started 14 games for the Raiders last season. He's owed a $6 million base salary for 2018, half of which is guaranteed per spot track. In the event of a suspension, the Raiders could look to avoid that guaranteed portion of the deal, depending on the language of the contract. So, I'm not going to give my take on this for obvious reasons, because uh, it doesn't have much to do with sports at all. It just happens that it's a, a, you know, an athlete in the headlines. So now switching gears to the NBA, Golden State Warriors star Stephen Curry is probably 
is probable for the team's Game 2 matchup with the New Orleans Pelicans, head coach Steve Kerr said on Monday. Kerr also told reporters Curry scrimmaged on Sunday against players who aren't featuring heavily for the Warriors in the NBA playoffs. Curry hasn't played since Golden State's 106-94 win over the Atlanta Hawks on March 23rd, after which the team confirmed he suffered a sprained MCL. The Warriors haven't missed him much in the postseason. They beat the San Antonio Spurs, who were without Kawhi Leonard in five games, and then dropped 123 points on the Pelicans in a 22-point Game 1 victory. Golden State could, could probably keep Curry out for the rest of the second round and still cruise past New Orleans. But it will be good for Curry to get back into game shape ahead of, ahead of what's likely to be a matchup with the Houston Rockets in the Western Conference Finals. The Rockets beat the Utah Jazz 110-96 in Game 1 of their second round series. The Warriors have been going through the motions for, for a, a large part of this year, so much so that Kerr let the players handle coaching duties for a game to change things up a bit. But Golden State would need that would need to be at its best against the Rockets, and that means having a healthy Curry looking like his usual self. So it, it's uh, pretty important. So now, um, uh, so switching gears to college basketball, Guard Romeo Langford is one of the most dynamic offensive players in the class of 2018, and he announced his intention to play for the Indiana Hoosiers on Monday. Uh, Langford made his announcement at New Albany Senior High School, and the Indianapolis star, uh, and the Indianapolis Indianapolis stars Greg Doyle showed um, how the anticipation had grown throughout the day. He showed that on Twitter. According to 247 Sports, Langford is a five-star prospect, and he rates as the number six overall recruit, as well as the number two shooting guard in his class. The New Albany, uh, Indiana native, was a standout at New Albany, and uh, top programs have come from far and wide to scout him and, and convince him to attend their school. Per uh, 247 Sports, Louisville, Duke, Indiana, Kansas, North Carolina, and UCLA are among the elite programs that pursued Langford and offered him a scholarship. ESPN's Jeff Barzello noted how significant it is for the Hoosiers to secure Long Langford's commitment. This is the first. He said, "This is the first time since 2007 that Indiana has landed the top-ranked senior from their own state." So it was pretty important. Langford is some somewhat uh, slight at 6'5 and 191 pounds, but he's remar he's a remarkable athlete who doesn't shy away from traffic. From what I've seen watching his highlights, um, Langford is a combo guard who dominates the basketball and is capable of scoring in bunches when he gets on a hot streak. He's the constant center of attention when it comes to the opposition attempting to shut him down, but it hasn't stopped him from turning in, turning in, in incredible performances. According to Scout.com's Mike Pegram, New Albany head coach Jim Shannon believes Langford will be even better at the collegiate level when he is surrounded by more elite talent. Quote, when he gets, when he gets it, he has to take one or two guys every time. It's really hard, and that's why he's such a fascinating player, because he's able to do that. When he gets to the college level and he's surrounded by other athletes and D1-type players, he'll be even better. He'll be unbelievable. Langford is an explosive player who can shoot, get to the rim, and get his teammates involved, which gives him a strong chance to be among the most impactful freshmen in college basketball next season. While it's difficult to envision him remaining in college for more than one year, he could be a major contributing factor in Indiana playing important games in March. On the heels of consecutive seasons without an NCAA tournament berth, Indiana desperately needed a big-time star capable of getting it back into contention on the national stage. Langford has that type of talent, and he has the makings of the driving force behind the Hoosiers returning to March Madness. With head coach Archie Miller settled in as well, Indiana appears likely to be far more competitive during the 2018-19 season compared to years past. Um, so, congrats to Indiana. Yeah, I like, like I mentioned earlier, it's about time they got the best recruit from their own state. It's, it's cool, though. Uh, switching gears to the NFL. Uh, Tom Brady is a five-time Super Bowl champion, so it's unsurprising that he has a lot of praise for the coach that has led him to that success. The New England Patriots quarterback was asked about his head coach Bill Belichick on Monday during an interview with Jim Gray as part of the Millican Institute Global Conference. 
Quote, I feel like he's the best coach in the history of the NFL, Brady said of Belichick per TMZ Sports. Brady also said that Belichick is, quote, respectful to him while agreeing with Gray's assertion, assertion that the coach is a, quote, football genius. Quote, he's an incredible coach. The quarterback continued. He's been an incredible mentor of me. For me, he's taught me so much football. The 40-year-old Brady was drafted by the Patriots in 2000, the year Belichick took over the franchise as head coach. The quarterback took over as a starter in 2001, and since then, the team has been easily the best in the NFL. In addition to the five Super Bowls, the team has eight total AFC championships while reaching the conference title game in each of the last seven years. Brady himself is a 13-time Pro Bowler and, and a surefire Hall of Famer when eligible, but he still gives a lot of credit to Belichick. Quote, to be a 22-year-old kid and come and learn from him, I wouldn't be sitting here without his coaching, the veteran said. There will be endless debates about which person has been more important to the success over the past two decades, but Brady clearly sees the value Belichick has provided to the organization. So, it's good that Brady gives credit, credit to Belichick. A lot of athletes get, you know, get get their ego in the way once they become really good, or even when they're not not as good as uh, fellow teammates, like someone someone like Lance Stevenson, for example. So now, uh, switching gears back to the, or not back to this is the first time we're talking about baseball. Los Angeles Dodgers, this is very upsetting, by the way. Los Angeles Dodgers shortstop Corey Seager will miss the rest of the 2018 season. On Monday, the Dodgers announced Seager will undergo Tommy John surgery for a UCL sprain. While the team placed him on the 10-day disabled list, it noted in the announcement that shortstop, that uh, the shortstop will miss the rest of the year. The Dodgers, quote, hope Seager will be available for opening day in 2019, according to Andy McCullough of the Los Angeles Times. Los Angeles recalled um, Bravik Valera from AAA Oklahoma City to take his place on the roster. Seager also dealt with some health issues last year, including a back injury that prevented him from playing in Los Angeles' National League Championship Series victory over the Chicago Cubs. He did, however, appear in 145 games. The two-time All-Star played 157 games in 2016 and won the National League Rookie of the Year and a Silver Slugger Award with, with hitting 308 with 26 home runs and 72 RBIs. He, he was also impressive in 2017 and helped lead the Dodgers to the best record in, in, the, in baseball at 104-58 with a 295 uh, batting average and hitting 22 home runs and 77 RBIs in 145 games. While Seager is a critical part of the daily lineup, there are enough pieces to help keep Los Angeles afloat for the rest of the year in the National League West. Um, look for the Dodgers to turn toward the combination of Chris Taylor and Enrique Hernandez at shortstop without the All-Star available for the remainder of the 2018 season. So it's very unfortunate. For the Dodgers. That's all I have to say. Uh, so now switching gears back to the NFL. Covering Tom Brady once more. New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady offered a somewhat puzzling response when asked whether he believes the team appreciates him and everything he has helped the organization achieve. NBC Sports uh, Boston's Tom E. Curran shared a clip of the exchange between Brady and Jim Gray at the Millican Institute Global Conference. Um, Brady said, quote, I plead the fifth in response to the question posted by Gray. In the clip, Gray alluded uh, to comments Brady's. Um, in, in the in the clip, Gray alluded to comments that Brady's wife Giselle Bunchen made in the Facebook documentary Tom vs. Time. "Quote: These last two years have been very challenging for him in so many ways," Bunchen said via Curran, and he tells me, "I love it so much, and I just want to go to work and feel appreciated and have fun." Curran's clip didn't include uh, compliments Brady directed towards Patriots head coach Bill Belichick during his conversation with Gray that I already mentioned. Um, Brady added that he and Belichick have had a very respectful relationship for a long time. However, eluding Gray's question about his general satisfaction in New England hinted at what has been a storyline surrounding the franchise for months. 
Back in January, ESPN's Seth Wickersham wrote in, a, in an in-depth story about what appeared to be a growing divide between Brady, Belichick, and Patriots owner Robert Kraft. According to Wickersham, Brady had grown uh, pretty frustrated with Belichick's criticism of, of his performance. Quote, at the same time, as his age has increased, Brady has become an advocate of positive thinking. Belichick's negativity and cynicism have gotten old, Brady has told other Patriots players and staff. He feels he has accomplished enough that he shouldn't have to endure so much grief. Patriots staffers have noticed that uh, this year more than ever, he seems to volley between unwavering confidence and driving insecurity. A Wickersham also spoke to staff members of the Patriots who said Brady had vocalized his frustration with failing to earn this, with failing to earn the distinction of Patriot of the Week during the 2017 season. Regardless of whether there were any problems behind the scenes in Foxborough, New England will uh, still reach its third Super Bowl in four years in 2017, and there's every indication Brady will continue playing in 2018. It wouldn't appear tensions are about to boil over for the Patriots' biggest personalities, but that doesn't mean the franchise isn't without some level of internal drama. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. It's going to be, uh, you know. So now, switching gears to the NBA. Uh, the Boston Celtics poured in 117 points in their convincing 16-point victory over the Philadelphia 76ers in Game 1 of their second-round playoff series Monday at TD Garden, and big man Joel Embiid pointed the pointed the blame at his team's defense. As Ben Gulliver of Sports Illustrated shared, Embiid said, quote, it starts on defense. I thought I was, um, I, I thought I was like S, for lack of a better word. <laughs> I thought we were all bad tonight. That's not who we are. Definitely, when everybody is on, we're the best defensive team in the game. Philadelphia's defense had issues on the perimeter in particular as the Celtics drained 17 of 35 which is good enough for 48.6% uh, three-point attempts to help break the contest open in front of the home fans. Boston also limited its turnovers to only 10, and the usually stout Embiid didn't have a single block in the loss. Ter Terry Rozier hit seven of those threes on his way to 29 points. Embiid was impressive on the other end, though tallying 31 points on 12 of 21 shooting to go along with 13 rebounds. Uh, he, J.J. Redick, 20 points, and Ben Simmons, 18 points, were the only 76ers to score more than 12, but Simmons had 7 of the team's 12 turnovers and struggled to find a rhythm as a facilitator and creator. Um, that Embiid called the 76ers the best defensive team in the league when everyone is playing up to their capabilities is notable in this series between defensive heavyweights. According to NBA.com, the Celtics were tops in the league in defensive rating during the season, while the Sixers were third. Each team's ability to swarm outside shooters and protect the rim serves as a major reason they advanced to the playoffs and into the second round, but Boston was the better side on Monday. Fortunately for Embiid and Philadelphia, the 76ers will have the opportunity to play better during Thursday's Game 2 as they attempt to salvage a split in the first two contests in Boston. So that's that. That's the breaking news in sports. Uh, now we're going to be covering the uh, Los Angeles sports team, starting with the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Dodgers lost again today by a score of 8-5 to to the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Dodgers are still fourth in the NL West, and they fall to 12-16. and 16. And The Diamondbacks improved to 20-8. So the Dodgers have now lost uh, three in a row. Uh, they won on Saturday, but still three losses in a row. Um, Dodgers are very up and down this year. You know, a lot of losing streaks, winning streaks, losing streaks, back and forth. Uh, so now taking a look at the standings, the Dodgers are two games behind the Colorado Rockies for third place. Two and a half games behind the San Francisco Giants for second place, and eight games behind the Arizona Diamondbacks for uh, third place. But at the same time, the Dodgers are only three games ahead of the San Diego Padres for last place, or, or for fourth place, I should say. So, I hope they, I hope they turn it around. So the Angels did not play today. Uh, they play the Baltimore Orioles tom tomorrow at seven o seven p.m. Pacific time. 
And I forgot to mention the Dodgers' next game is tomorrow at 6.40 p.m. Pacific time against the Arizona Diamondbacks. So now taking a look at the AOS standings with the Angels. Uh, they're currently um, in the third place. They are half a game behind the Seattle Mariners for uh, second place and three games behind the Houston Astros for first. Uh, but they're only at the same time. They're only two games ahead of the Oakland Athletics at third for third place. So that should be worth noting. Uh, now switching gears um, to the LA Galaxy. Their next game is Saturday, May fifth, this Saturday, at uh, five thirty p.m. against the Houston Dynamo. LAFC's next game is also on Saturday, May fifth, uh, but instead of uh, five thirty p.m., they play at one p.m. And instead of Houston Dynamo, they play the FC Dallas, the other MLS team in Texas. So that's that. Uh, not covering the NHL playoff results from today. Uh, there were two games today. The Tampa Bay Lightning beat uh, the Boston Bruins by a score of 4-2. to two. That series is now tied at 1. And uh, the Vegas Golden Knights beat the San Jose Sharks 4-3 in overtime. So the Vegas Golden Knights now take a 2-1 lead in the series. Uh, now taking a look at the game scheduled for tomorrow. The Washington Capitals and Pittsburgh Penguins uh play at 4.30 p.m. Pacific time. The series is tied 1-1. And the Nashville Predators play the Winnipeg Jets at 5 p.m. Pacific time. The series is also tied 1-1. So that's all we have for episode number 55 of Sean's Sports Show. Thank you for listening, whoever you may be. I appreciate the support. All the other episodes are on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, and Google Play. And um, I'll see you guys on the next one. Episode 56 will be released tomorrow, May 1st, the first of the month at around 10 p.m. Pacific time. So I thank you guys for listening. I appreciate the support again, and um, all feedback is appreciated, and I'll see you guys in the next one. Thanks for listening.